Hello and welcome to CX Conversations. This is your host Vivek bringing you CX lessons from CX leaders from around the world. Today in CX Conversations, I am talking about how to develop and deliver a brand promise from the customer's perspective. We've all seen brands make big claims in an attempt to engage and woo potential customers, but when it comes to delivering on those promises, they fall short sometimes. Interestingly, today, brand isn't what companies showcase in their marketing. Brand is more about how customers perceive and experience a company's products and services. Hence, building a brand promise from the customer's point of view is vital. I'm joined by my guest Neil Sharp to talk about how you can develop and deliver a customer-centric brand promise. Neil is currently partner at Pen, a management consultancy firm focusing on customer experience, operational excellence, and change delivery. Dedicated to inspiring and enabling organizations to deliver their ideal customer and employee experiences which develop loyalty and sustainable growth. Neil is an expert in developing and delivering customer experience transformation programs which place the customer at the heart of the organization. Through his 30 plus years of professional experience, he has served in several leadership roles in marketing and business development and has been a management consultant for the last 20 years. Neil and I got connected on LinkedIn through our common connect Magnus. Uh, a shout out to him. Thanks for the connect Magnus. And I have been looking forward to hosting him on the podcast since then. Neil, welcome to CX Conversations. Happy to be speaking with you today. Thank you very much, Vivek, and I'm delighted to be here and uh, love talking about this subject. So, uh, yes, can't wait to speak to your listeners. Great. So, let's start by understanding brand promise first. What exactly is a brand's promise? Well, I suppose to start off with, you could look at it in the simplest uh, way of interpreting those words. Um, it is a promise or a commitment that is made from a company or an organisation to its customers. Um, and the word brand here, and we'll explore this as we go through, is a very holistic term. Uh, it doesn't just mean the icon or the logo or the advertising that somebody sees, which is a common misconception. In my view, uh, a brand is everything that an organization does and it encompasses absolutely everything that the brand the the organization tries to convey to its customers. But for some companies we know like if I take an example of uh, FM major FMCG brands or FMCG companies when I talk about the company I'm thinking of P&G and maybe uh, Unilever however they've got a ton of brands that are out there and most of the consumers don't even know that they are basically purchasing the products of of a specific company they are basically interacting with the brand in that context do you think in our conversation we are going to be digging deeper into how brands are differentiated from the company itself yes i think so um i mean interestingly you take an organization such as unilever um i've never worked with unilever they're not a client of mine but i know people that have worked in senior leadership roles within that business um obviously it's a tremendous successful massive organization that has as you say multiple brands lots of products lots of manufacturing interestingly though there is a a very clear common thread that runs through the organization that's well understood internally and one of their biggest focuses internally is um actually around sustainability and thinking about uh, and i don't know what the actual wording of their brand promises because i've never actually looked at it internally but in that situation it's all about how people internally understand what they're there to do and actually sustainability and creating solutions both in manufacturing distribution and delivery of product in a way that's sustainable for the planet because they recognize 
they're producing goods which, if left unchecked, are going to be doing harm to the environment um, if they were you know, manufactured in the same old traditional way year after year. And actually, you know, a lot of what they do internally is around delivery of that. And although you don't see a huge amount of uh, evidence of that in terms of their advertising, actually, you are starting to get a sense that their whole platform, their promise to customers is about sustainability. It's about yes. delivering things that are actually, you know, playing to what customers need nowadays, which is to understand that what they're buying isn't going to do harm. So it's a slightly different off-beam view of it. And if you just look at it from the perspective of saying, you know, Dove Soap or a brand like that that they sell, they probably, you know, the Unilever element of that isn't necessarily um, appropriate within the advertising. But actually at the heart of the business, the reason why they exist is becoming quite clear internally. And, and you know, everything that they do follows that. Uh, so it's very much an internal thing. But, and, you know, we will talk about that as we go through. It's as much an internal thing as it is an external thing. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that you've taken a good example of one of the brands of uh, of Unilever. And I'm, I'm beginning to see some bit of this promise come into their advertisements as well. Great. With that out of our way, could you talk about how companies traditionally develop their brand and what you think is missing in that approach? Certainly. Um, it's quite a hard question to answer because companies develop their brands in lots of different ways. And I suppose one of the common misconceptions, which I touched on at the beginning, is that brand is all about the advertising. It's about the logo. It's about what people see on the surface. And, and you know, it's very much often bundled in with marketing communication. I wouldn't want to make a sweeping statement that companies make a mistake by doing that because clearly that's a very important part of the brand. But let me try and answer the question like this. One of the best definitions of brand that I've ever heard is that a brand is the external manifestation of an internal culture. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's very much uh, companies that deliver a really strong, consistent branded experience where the customer feels different about the organization. It's often when the, the brand or the organization is actually taking the natural culture internally and then you know, communicating that and delivering it externally, whether it be through services or products. And what that means is that everyone within the organization has a really, really clear idea about the purpose of the organization, what they're there to do. And the organization is run naturally in a way that is aligned to that uh, to that promise or to that purpose. Um, and when you get that kind of situation, um, the development of the brand becomes a very natural thing. Uh, and that's where a brand promise comes in, because if you can articulate that promise internally so that people understand it, and then they use that brand promise as a means of almost a set of guide rails or um, a set of guiding principles in everything that they do within the organization, then I think you start to see real differentiation and real power coming through. So just to recap that, really, what I'm saying is, is if you can develop a culture of a business in such a way that it's really clear what you're there to do and have everybody in the organization understand it, then all of a sudden it all becomes very clear and, and everything that you do becomes guided by that, almost like a set of, you know, sometimes people refer to it as a North Star, something that's in the sky you're constantly moving towards it because it's your guiding light, but you may never reach it. And that's that's great as well because it's just a, a constant a means of motivating people. So where perhaps I see mistakes made is that perhaps there isn't necessarily a, an appreciation of that holistic way of doing things. Uh, and if your people don't understand why you're there, you've got a really strong uphill task ahead of you to try and 
convey a brand that's natural to customers uh, every time that you interact with them. So, so that's that's my perspective on that. Really, I think it's all about you know really trying to get people to understand and connect with what the business is there to do. This is beautiful. It, it almost felt like branding one hundred and one for me, and and it is you've conveyed it in such a beautiful way, Neil. And I kind of agree on that. If you have made sure that you have built an inter- a strong internal ethos and you are conveying that through your brand your brand promise is much more easily delivered through whatever activities you are doing and that that need not necessarily be constrained within your market marketing and marcom activities per se so that's wonderful let's break down the process of creating a customer centric brand uh, can you talk through how to design and develop a brand promise from the customer's perspective yeah absolutely and again you know there's no right way to do this um quite often in, in consultancy it's it's great to uh, to arrive at a client and unpack the uh, the kit bag if you like of uh, of means and methods of ways of doing things and and we really try to avoid that but but let me let me try and um articulate if you like some common uh, themes that we use so we use a very simple process when we're when we're working with clients on this, and we we try to look at three things. And this is very much aligned to the writings of someone who I I think is an amazing chap, uh, a guy called Simon Sinek. Uh, you know w- what he talks about is the what, the why, and the how. And we re- we very much use that because it's such a simple and natural way of doing this. So let me talk about that. So the what, um, if, and if you can imagine almost a, a circle with three sort of layers to it, three rings. The outside element of it is the what. That's the product or the services that you're delivering. Those are the the kind of things, if you like, that customers are buying from you or are receiving from you as a service. Uh, so, if you were an insurance company, you know that might be life insurance or car insurance or um, you know, a savings plan or something like that. Um, then you've got at the centre, uh, you've got the why, and that's often in our terminology, talked about as the the brand purpose, okay? This is at the heart of everything that you do. And this goes back to my point about culture. You know, quite often we see organisations, you know, that they have staff that come in and they kind of don't really know why they're there. Uh, And that that may sound like a really silly thing to say, but yes, of course, they know functionally why they're there. You know, they might be there to answer the telephone or to process invoices, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing in the supply chain that, of that company to actually deliver something to the end customer. They don't really connect with that purpose. So the why is incredibly important. That gives you the core of everything that you try to do. And then the sort of middle ring is the the how. And that's the thing that often makes a brand distinctive. And this is about what we do here is we explore, you know, how are we going to do this in a way that not only satisfies customers in the best possible way, no matter what we're delivering for them, but also in a way that is going to make us distinctive and different from our competitors. So armed with the what, the why and the how and a real understanding of, you know, specifically what are we trying to do here um, at the heart of what our business is um, and how are we going to do that? You know, th- those are sort of three steps that we take and we, we use a combination of customer research. So really look into existing customer, the business, you know, what, what are they, what are they uh, experiencing? What do they like about what you deliver? What are their expectations from a company like? And also very much about the staff, you know, get engaged with your staff. And we, we would go through a quite a, an extensive engagement process of people at all levels within the organization to get them to talk about what they think the purpose of the business is. You know, what is the essence of this company? 
What is the culture? And then what you start to do is you start to form a, a strong idea that says, okay, we've got our customers here, think they want this from us. Uh, and we believe that that's what we're here to do. Um, we might need to tweak some of the wording there and, and really get a, a sense of understanding. Or indeed, you might need to go and get some more primary research. You might need to sit down with customers and, and talk about this stuff because quite often it's not necessarily naturally part of uh, a typical way of developing a brand or a strategy. But once you've got that clear, then you might set a, a, um, a set of design principles in place. So um, what you're saying here is the essence of what we're doing here is X, Y, and Z. And armed with those sort of things, the what, the why, and the how, and understanding from an external point of view and also from an internal point of view, you can then start to sort of formulate a very clear idea that says, okay, if we make this promise to customers that we're going to deliver this product or service and do it in a certain way, and in doing that, meet a certain set of needs for those customers in a way that makes them feel either comfortable and reassured, or indeed, it might even be about making them feel happy, or the customer experience might be something that you know really connects to them um, in an emotional sense. Once you've got that clear, you can then go about plugging that into your strategy and working out where you might need to strengthen some of your capabilities to be able to deliver that in the way that meets your customers' needs, meets your employees' needs, but at the same time does that in a way that's distinctive within the, within the, uh, the market in which you're operating. Uh, you know what, Neil, while that sounds really interesting, and, and I have watched Simon Sinek's uh, The Golden Circle is the video, I think. I've watched that video. And while you were explaining this, to a large extent, I am connecting with what you've just mentioned. But a part of me is also thinking that this sounds way too simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm imagining then why is it that so many so many companies are not able to get this? Well, that's a good question. Um, okay, now, I, I wouldn't want to be patronizing to any companies out there. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're sure. right about simplicity, I think. Neither is my intent. I, I'm just curious because I, I'm a curious person and I imagine I'm a, I, this this entire philosophy that Simon Sinek has um, has talked about, it's beautiful. I, I always try to, I'm a startup, I'm a very small company. I still look at everything that we do and we always talk from the why, then the how and then the what. And we try and implement that every time. And I'm sure that there are certain challenges that, bigger companies face because of which they are not able to adopt this simple philosophy. And I'm just trying to, with that question, I'm just trying to target those challenges rather than patronize anyone. No, 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 sorry. I mean, I, I think what I wanted to say was, uh, I, I think simplicity in business, particularly around brands is, is critical because there's so much noise, you know, in terms of thinking about markets. Everyone's quite rightly obsessing with digital, looking at how trends are changing, thinking about you know, quite profound changes in the way in which um, people interact with organisations. And all of that's hugely important. And at the same time, a lot of the sectors that we work in are either becoming or are very, very heavily regulated. We do a lot of work in financial services. We do a lot of work in pharmaceuticals, for example. And, and in, in both of those sectors, there is there are tremendous changes being brought about by the weight of regulation, um, different ways of innovating, thinking about digital, thinking about patient experience or customer experience, all those things. It's so much to think about, whereas actually, if you boil it right down to something as simple as the way in which, you know, I think Sinek 
uh, articulates it, and we have our own kind of version of that. Um, it starts to give you a bit of clarity of thought that, that allows you to, when you're trying to solve some of those more technical issues and problems around how you're going to solve digital or solve a regulatory problem, if you can do it in a way that's true to a very simple understanding of the reason why you exist as a business, then I think it just makes it makes it easier to make decisions. And, and, and I don't know why um, more organisations you know, don't adopt that kind of simplicity. Um, you know, it... The, the execution of this isn't obviously as simple as we're discussing here. You know, if you're a, a CEO of a business or a chief operating officer, you've got a, a very long list of things that are worrying you. But at the same time, I have found, you know, tremendous breakthroughs in thinking when you boil it down to this very simple set of words and a very simple understanding, which has to be grounded in reality. You know, one of the things I'd say about this is you can't just come up with a statement that, you know, we're here to do this. Let me, let me give you an example, if I may, you know, um, uh, a, a colleague of mine that I've worked with a lot, um, he was working with a company who um, they hire commercial vehicle vans and, and things to, to workmen. And this van hire company uh, were looking to transform themselves. And there was a, a conversation that took place um, between my colleague and uh, a senior member of the team. And this guy was saying, you know, we want to be like Apple. Like, Why do you want to be like Apple? You know, you hire vans, right? Now, what was behind that statement was we want to be able to in you know enhance their business and and capture the efficiencies and the, and the this kind of the things that digital opens up and yes of course you know you've got to be able to think about moving on with the future but at the heart of it what are you trying to do here we're trying to we're trying to hire vans and actually the brand promise work that he did what they got down to was a really really clear understanding that the role of that business wasn't really about hiring vans what it was about it was about managing balance sheets of businesses in an efficient way because actually Having a thousand vans or five hundred vans on your balance sheet is not a particularly smart thing to do in this day and age because the depreciation on them you know doesn't really work and you've got a fleet and you end up being uh, a fleet hire business as opposed to a business that's doing something else so what they did was they understood that actually their purpose was all about making businesses more efficient by taking away the headache of having a huge inventory of of capital tied up um you know in vans and things and 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 then the strategy unlocked in a very different way, because then it's all about the efficient delivery of that specific purpose to a business, which can then focus on um, you know, in, uh, links into back office accounting systems and things that actually are really, really useful to a, a finance director or running a, a relatively small business that might have 10 vans. And actually then, you know, you can have a very, very different conversation. So, uh, you know, a slightly long story there, but an example of, of where, Using the simplicity of understanding what is it the outcome that you're actually creating for a business and then aligning everything that you do to that makes a huge difference. Hope that kind of explains what I mean. Yeah, it does. And, and that's quite an interesting example. And and while both of us are agreeing that this is a this is a simple or a simplistic framework, I think we must also put it out there that it might it might be simple, but it's not easy. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we have uh, in our previous conversations we've talked about is building a customer centric brand brand promise. Now, having this framework, if for the lack of a better word, I'll ca- call this as a framework, the golden circle. And I know in your previous answers, you've talked about uh, using certain design principles. Uh, but if you could just dig a little deeper into how can you make sure that 
during this process of going through the why, how, and the what in your framework, how do you make sure that the that the brand is also looking at this entire exercise from the customer's perspective? Uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, all of this needs to be grounded in customer research or customer understanding and insight. You've got to you've got to start from the perspective of putting yourself in the shoes of the customer and thinking about what role are you playing in their lives? And we find that quite a useful question to start with is, you know, what, what role are you playing? Uh, so you've got these target customers that you think you're service, serving. You, you understand them. You might do some segmentation to, to work out how people differ in different segments. But you keep asking the question, what role are we playing in their lives? Um, whether it be a B2B or a B2C business, it doesn't matter because the, you're still playing a, a specific role. Let me try and bring this to life uh, for you with another example. So a global financial services firm that we've worked with uh, extensively over the years, they were developing their brand promise back in 2012. And uh, one of the things that they wanted to try and do was they were responding to some of the stuff that I talked about earlier. They were responding to um, the the threat of you know, real changes to their business model through quite punitive regulation, which was partly driven by perhaps some of the activities of the past, not necessarily by this company, but the sector as a whole. And they were being forced to really think about you know, how they could treat customers more fairly. Uh, they were thinking about digital um, and they were thinking about off the back of, if you think about the timing of this, this is this is just as the world um, was recovering from the financial crisis of 2008, and and trust in in financial services companies of all kinds was at an all time low at that point. So, faced with that kind of you know difficult situation, what these guys did was they really dug into some customer research through a series of focus groups uh, at different regions in the world, and really started to look at. You know, what is it that customers want from an organization like us? How could they ever trust us? What is it that, that, that we can do? And what came out of that was a very, very simple articulation. And this was um, reinforced very much by the internal view of, of staff as well, which was, hey, guys, you know, you've been around for, and I, I'll say the number, you've been around for 170 years. Okay, this is a very old traditional company, which means you've got wisdom and you've got experience, which we don't have. And therefore, what we would like a company like you to be, be able to do is, is use that wisdom and experience to, to guide us and help us to achieve our dreams. Because as a financial services company, you know, you're not just providing uh, insurance and bank accounts. You're also providing vehicles and savings products that will allow us to um, have a secure future or indeed, you know, in certain parts of the world, uh, maybe have a house one day or, or, or something, you know, there, there's lots of different markets that they're operating in. But the common thread from this was about using wisdom and experience to guide us in an uncertain world to a set of solutions that we can trust. And, and that if we buy those solutions from you and you'll stick around for another hundred years or, or what have you, those solutions will actually deliver. And the words that they use were a positive future for us and for our children and for our families. And, and therefore, the brand promise that came out of that business internally, okay, this was never communicated externally, but internally, this was talking about enabling positive futures. Okay, so this was, that became the purpose, if you like, of the, of the brand. And then what we did was, we, we then looked at how do we deliver that? And we knew that we had to do more on digital. So we, we talked about becoming the most accessible digitally in each of the markets. We were concerned about sustainability because of what had happened in the crisis but also what came out of that research was a real clear understanding that people wanted solutions where 
they were investing in things that weren't going to do harm to the planet, that weren't going to do bad things. Um, and therefore, a, a philosophy around sustainable investment emerged out of that. And again, there were other other parts of that brand promise, which I won't go into now in the interest of time. But armed with that real understanding of enabling positive futures, thinking about that, and then thinking about a customer experience element to this as well. You know, how do we want to be? We want to be the easiest to deal with. We want to make people feel value. We want to make them feel like they've got peace of mind, that we are going to deliver what we say we we're going to. So, again, slightly long story there, but really what, what came out of that to try and answer your, your original question is by really focusing on these questions of customers, what role do you want us to play? How do you want us to do that? What is it that you're looking for? We were able to discern uh, a series of things which, when done in combination, would genuinely differentiate a business. You know, and, and even you know, a lot of companies now have as part of their brand promise or as their customer principles being easy to deal with. And that is an incredibly easy statement to make, but it's really quite hard to do sometimes because processes get in the way and things. So hopefully that, that kind of explains the philosophy that we adopt, really, which is get to the heart of the customer. Keep asking the question until you really feel that you've got a sense of what their expectations of you are as a business. And then start to think about making a promise which you believe that you can deliver, but that's stretching and that is going to guide the activities that you take as a business. And if you do that, then I think it becomes natural again. I think it, it but it's that obsession with customers where it's got to start. And how do you do that? Well, I, I just think you just have to keep asking the question until you're convinced that you've got an answer that you can believe. Um, and, you know, there's no silver bullet to that. But um, I think, you know, most executives can use their judgment around how they do that. Cool. I, I think I get that. And, and thanks for sharing that, Neil. The one thing that I, I would like our listeners to take from this is that while you're working on developing and designing your brand promise, don't forget the customers. Keep keep your customer research um, aligned and running in parallel to, to your brand development activities and, and use all of that data into uh, developing the right kind of customer-centric brand promise that you can then finally start working on. So that kind of makes sense. And let's say we've developed this brand promise. How should I make the best use of it now? What are my next steps after developing the brand promise? Neil? Lots of different answers to that question. Let me try and give you a couple of good examples again. So um, I, I talk a little bit, uh, talked earlier about sort of guiding principles. I think it's incredibly useful to be able to once you've got something written down, um, which is you know, like the enabling positive futures and, and unpacking what that means in practice in different markets that you operate in. Part of this is about communication internally. So it's about getting your staff aligned to that. One of the most valuable tools that we've used in the past is a very simple technique whereby using a kind of cascade uh, methodology, get literally and i mean this literally everybody in the organization to run through a short exercise uh in their day-to-day -day work whether it be you know frontline people in contact centers or indeed anyone you know could be the guy that's managing your van fleet you know some somebody in the back office somewhere to go through and think about what does it what do i do in my day job that lives that brand promise how do i enable positive futures and, and how do i if you've got a set of customer principles, so I, I mentioned in that particular financial services example, you know, being easy to deal with, making customers feel valued and giving them peace of mind that they've made the right decision or you, you, peace of mind that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. 
take those three principles and and get the each of these individuals to just spend you know a, a, maybe a little workshop it could even be a sort of 15 minute buzz session you know before a, a call center goes on shift or, or something like that to sit down and say in my job how do i deliver that who are my customers um how do i make it easy for them how do i make them feel valued how do i give them peace of mind so often some very very simple exercises around that is one way to engage people and more in that um, just sorry, i'm sorry i'm interrupting you but in that i'm curious to understand have you ever come across instances where people um react to to such initiatives and say but we've done this in this way forever why why do you want to change that oh yeah, that, and, yeah. and how how do you recommend uh leaders to deal with that well i think again it's it's about giving the evidence again if you if you have done your work correctly and really um have got insights that is you're certain about from your customers so you've you've done the work you've done the research it's about sharing that with people you know you can't you can't just run in my view a pure command and control communication that says this is the way we're going to do it going forward you've got to get people to believe in it you've got to get people to understand why you're doing these things and so therefore a sharing of the outcomes that you've um, developed through your research is incredibly important so yeah thank you for asking the question because you're right this is about explaining why um, and then explaining how it's going to happen in practice and and giving people the opportunity to discuss and to disagree, but to do that in a way that says, you know, how do we refine this? Um, if we're going to do this differently, then, you know, you can tell us. If you don't agree with exactly what we've said here, put your input into it and you tell me how in your day job, whatever you do day in, day out, how you're going to deliver that. And, you know, it has to be done in a controlled way, clearly. But uh, if you've got a, you know, quite often you have to roll these things out to start off with, with, with a bit of a program structure around it. So you need some governance in place. Um, you can't just let, it's a, you know, it's a bit like starting a bushfire. You know, you can't um, uh, just let, uh, you know, people run uh, riot and go and do, the, you know, their own thing and, and, and do that in an uncontrolled way. You have to do it in a managed way. But so, so that's just one tool. Um, what I was just going to say as well, though, is, you know, in addition to the sort of bottom up micromanagement of this, which I think is important, there's also sort of high level communication. Um, it's taking this within your overall proposition development framework, if you have one that says, OK, so if this is our purpose, how does that fit with the propositions that we deliver to the market today or the products that we deliver to the market today? Do we need to change anything uh, do we need new service lines, new products, new capabilities in order to deliver a brand promise that's holistic that people a want and b believe is is a good thing for them? And and so, in addition to the simple stuff that's more comms based, um, you know, there are quite often this will call for what I'd call some heavy lifting within the organisation, where you may well need to do some some structural reforms to the way in which you operate, or indeed to the products and services that you offer. So. I really don't want to try and simplify this and, and make statements. This is, yeah, you know, if you're a Unilever, you, you know, just go and build a few new factories and launch some new products. Obviously, that comes with tremendous decisions and investments. But um, I guess what I'm saying is it's a top-down and a bottom-up approach, in my view. And, and actually, you know, regardless of – even if you're not trying to do a wholesale transformation of what you do, and this is much more of an evolutionary thing, I believe that – communicating at its simplest level to people that are actually facing off to your customers or indeed supporting people that are facing off to your customers and getting them to understand what their individual is in doing this. This goes right back to the start, really, of this conversation, which is 
then start to develop a culture that is aligned to your customers and your brand promise and the things that you are there to deliver to your customers. And if people understand that and believe it and have the tools available to them to actually deliver it in practice day in, day out, then I'd really genuinely believe you can start to unlock the power of an organization. Gotcha. And I also think in my experience, what I've seen um, in customer centricity transformation or customer centric uh, organizational behavioral changes, when you make the people, the 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 customer facing people and the team members who are interacting with the customers a part of the design team that is working with the data and and coming up with the with the new brand promise uh, if you will they get a lot more enthused about uh, participating in it and and also adopting it making it their own and making sure that it gets uh, kind of it becomes their own thing when when it is rolled out at a larger scale throughout the organization what would you say about I think that's absolutely right. I think absolutely. I mean, I don't think you can do it without. Um, And I'd go one step further than that and say, you know, it would be tremendously foolish for a a senior leadership team to think that they've got all the answers to, um, you know, uh, to this uh, and to the way in which you execute this stuff. You know, ask the people that are on the front line, ask those guys that are in the contact centre day in, day out, dealing with problems, dealing with issues, and occasionally getting a bit of praise and understanding what makes people feel good and what make, makes people feel bad. And if you genuinely engage them in this process to get them to think about how the organisation might need to change to enable them to deliver what they know they should be delivering, because quite often these frontline guys are instinctively aligned to the customer. They need to be done. And actually, it's only the processes uh, and, and the regulations and things that perhaps stop them doing things in the way that they need to. And, and you know, that's when you get an unhappy workforce is when they know what they've got to do, but they're prevented from doing it either by the organization or by or because they've never really been asked the right questions. And, and you know, quite often I keep mentioning contact centers. You know, it's just one part of the organization, but it's a really interesting cultural part of the organization because, you know, my observation would be quite often um, the contact center uh, in whatever guise, no matter what type of organization, tends to be the entry level job. Uh, for people coming into the organisation, um, quite often the um, uh, the induction processes in place tend to be a little bit deficient. They don't really get to the heart of what it is that you're there to do for customers. You know, you might be given some process training or some procedural training about what you are allowed to say and not allowed to say, but you don't often really, really get people immersed in why they're there. And and you know, you can kind of quite often we we will we will find out more about customer interaction and, and really what it is customers are expecting by reading between the lines go and spend two or three days in a contact center speak to the guys that are on the phones sit with them listen to calls look at what they're having to do on their screens and look at how, you know the, the the hurdles that they have to get over and look at good and bad you know look score customer calls and then look at where you get a low score, why is that? Is it a process preventing it? Is it actually a deficiency in training? Or is it just a lack of understanding as to what it is that you're there to do? And, and where you get those kind of disconnects, you, you find that, you know, there are opportunities very, very quickly to get people more aligned to, you know, what it is that they need to deliver for customers. So I think, yes, absolutely, you have to involve as many people as you feasibly can in this process. 
obviously there's a limit. <laughs> um, and there are tools of, of gathering feedback and information, but also understand that probably some of your best ideas and some of the best understanding and insight will come from the people that are closest to the customers. And quite often, that will probably be some of the more junior members of your teams um, because they tend to be the entry-level jobs. But you know, anyone who's worked in a call centre for six months um, will know. You know they'll, have, they'll have a really good sense of what's good and bad and um, they may have never been asked. <laughs> true, true. And from whatever you're saying, Neil, I can see that you've helped many brands through this process and take them through a CX transformation journey. So what kind of outcomes and results have you observed in the short and the long term after a company has developed and deployed a customer-centric brand promise? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of different thoughts in my head, really, on, on that question. Uh, let me start with the short term. In the short term, we often see a, a substantial uplift in employee engagement or just employee happiness. You know, let's not think of this from a a management jargon perspective at the end of the day what we're talking about here is are people happy in their work and we will often see both through being asked and being involved but also through fixing some of the day-to-day problems that people know exist within an organization and then they suddenly start to see things changing for the better it means that they can do their job uh, easier they can feel happier and more comfortable but also Quite often, they're just delivering things with more clarity because they understand all of a sudden why they're there and why they're doing things and perhaps what their role is within the organization. So um, you get an uplift in in employee engagement, usually very quickly. That will flow through naturally into customer experience. So having people happier in their work will, will definitely flow quickly through into evidence that you can see in your customer experience if you're measuring it correctly. And also, we get often an unexpected benefit or a dividend from operational improvement and efficiency. So less rework, less complaints, people not having to fix things uh, constantly because they're doing things wrong because all of a sudden communication improves. Uh, it might be simple stuff like letters changing or, or emails changing where you're communicating in a way that's definitely aligned to what your customer wants. So you get operational improvements, you get some early customer experience benefits. In the long term, all of that stuff carries on through and what you start to see is once this becomes embedded and you fix the basics and you've got things working correctly, you can start to drive innovation in customer experience in terms of how you interact with people in the products and services that perhaps you're offering in your propositions. And you you do genuinely see where you've got genuine clarity around what it is your role is and your purpose. I've seen huge uplifts in loyalty, people staying longer with businesses, buying more from businesses. And the operational improvement, you know, you become quite often a very slick organization simply because you tend to be much more focused and prioritizing the things that matter most to your customers. And of course, you have to carry on doing, you know, the stuff that means you pay your taxes, the accounting stuff, the regulatory stuff. But instead of doing lots of other stuff, in inverted commas, you start to do things that are very, very focused on what your brand is trying to deliver for your customers. And again, that that comes from evolution. It takes time. But as people start to work in that way, uh, there's less waste. You know, there's people just doing things that um, become uh, naturally prioritized because you know what your customers want. And it's that clarity and that simplicity that really brings that through, I think. That's great, Neil. So my last question is, what is your word of advice for companies embarking in this journey of becoming customer-centric? and developing and delivering on a brand promise? Start with the customer. You know, absolutely start with your customer. 
almost of equal importance get the insight and the understanding of your people you know uh, your customers obviously you have to be serving them in the right way and you have to understand so you've got to start there but at the same time get your people on board get them to understand get them to contribute get them to bring their wisdom and their knowledge because they'll know um you know naturally in their job what they want so customer employee view and then finally you know you touched on this earlier keep it simple try and make this you know, again it's it's a sort of a a typical game that people often play but there's, there's often you know how would you explain this to your mother or father or your auntie or how would you explain this to an eight-year-old you know if you can't explain this to your mother or father or an eight-year-old then how can you expect your people to to align to it and and make it as simple as possible to so keep the language as simple as you can and really make sure that when people look at it they go okay good i understand what you do um and then you know you can start to make that real for people. So customer, employee, get it focused on those guys, get their views, uh, and then keep it simple. Um, and, and the simpler you can make it, the better. Awesome. Awesome. That's amazing. So with that, we've come to the end of this podcast. I'd like to thank you once again for making the time for this conversation and sharing so openly with, with our audience, Neil. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. And to all our listeners, this is Vivek signing off from another CX Conversations. Until next time, bye.